Uh, right, hello uh, to you all. Uh, this is um, Adrian here, um, and it's the, well, it's the Trend Signal podcast, isn't it? And there's a lot we've got to get through uh, today. Sadly, though, uh, for you all, it's just me today, uh, which means you're uh, you're stuck with my dulcet tones in today's workshop. Jerry's off doing whatever Jerry's doing uh, today, so, uh, but it's okay, and hopefully you'll be nice and gentle uh, with me on the old uh, questions box there and comments if you're listening to the recording. A lot to get through. Obviously, a big week last week. We had the UK general election. And what we're going to do is have a bit of a debrief uh, on that, really. We're going to look at the impact on the markets, why the markets had the movements that they have had, which, by the way, was pretty much in line with expectations. Those of you who've been listening to podcasts from us uh, over the previous few weeks, the impact of the markets, what's happened, you're sure it was a much bigger uh, majority than I think everyone was really expected, but actually uh, the markets have really done probably what we thought they would do with such a result. So we're going to be looking at uh, that. We're going to be looking at what to look out for for the week ahead, what we're trading at the moment. And we're also uh, in our defining trading section. We're going to look at something called short covering. And that's relevant uh, when we think about pound dollar, which we're going to be looking at uh, shortly enough and the movement that we've been seeing there as well. And in terms of the problem with trading, um, what we're going to do in that section is we're going to take a look at boredom trading so uh, people uh, trading when they're bored just to be in the market so there's quite a bit we're going to get through uh, remember uh, the benefit of being 16th of December 2019 uh, is that you can contribute you can ask questions you can respond to questions that I ask uh, and that is a benefit very much of attending if you're in the go to webinar login uh, which a number of you are right now guys so uh, well look let's get into it so so what do we know? Uh, well, this is the section where we have a look at what's been happening over the last week. What was the market movement? Um, and uh, well, I guess how could we have known about it beforehand is probably a relevant part. Now, usually uh, what uh, I do is pass over to Jerry now to go through these details. Uh, but as I said, he's not here today. So uh, like I said, you are very much stuck with me. What happened? Well, there was a little thing called the UK election. This is not a political podcast. So we're going to get into the markets in a second. But let's just go through the headlines really. Uh, an 80-seat majority uh, for Boris Johnson's Conservative government. Um, and what does that mean for us? Well, the main headline, of course, wasn't it, was to do with getting Brexit done. And that's the thing that's had the biggest impact on the markets. We've seen massive moves on the pound, uh, massive moves on the stock market, continued movement uh, on the stock market today. We're going to get into that in a second. And actually, uh, I think it was, wasn't it written, the poorest performance for a, a Labour uh, party since 1935. We'll talk about that. So I think that's an important uh, point, really. So why is it that they did so badly? What you should probably have a look at is a fascinating article that I read on the BBC uh, website uh, there, which is, which is really talking about uh, the US presidential election and whether um, they can learn anything on the other side of the pond uh, to do with what's happened here in the UK. So what are the reasons why Labour did so badly? Is it the leadership? Is it anti-Semitism? Is it the far left policies? Is it an unclear Brexit policy? Is it all of the above? Is it other factors? You know, certainly um, Donald was very much talking about it being to do with the Brexit vote. But actually, I think if you really read between the lines, it seems to be a little bit more down to far left uh, policies uh, and maybe just a lack of trust in those policies uh, and in the leadership. But you know what? You know, we'll see. The reason I reference the U.S. presidential election article on the BBC website 
In fact, I'll just bring it up very quickly, just so you can have a look, just to remind myself of the title uh, of it for anyone who's uh, not uh, able to see what I'm referring to. Um, so something like this, if you search on the BBC News website, uh, will the UK provide a light bulb moment for the US Democrats? I say it's interesting because um, this article is arguing that potentially about sort of more uh, radical socialist far left policies than anything else, people not trusting them. Otherwise, how is it possible uh, that major labor heartlands could have fallen to the conservatives? As I say, it's a very fascinating article. And when you think about the main event for next year, uh, probably being the US presidential election, does that mean when you've got, well, you're going to be up against Trump, aren't you? You need a democratic, that's the more social, uh, uh, socialist uh, side of the uh, of it really, um, uh, the Democratic candidate, um, are they going to be going for someone on the far left, someone like Bernie Sanders, someone like Elizabeth Warren, are they going to go something, someone a bit more central, and is the result of the um, uh, presidential, uh, sorry, the, the UK election, is that going to have an impact on who they eventually choose uh, to be the Democratic uh, nominee or candidate or, or, and really Trump's uh, main opponent? It's interesting, uh, actually. And in fact, I, I sort of won't give too much away, but if you sort of read through this article, it will tell you a little bit about that. And in fact, it, and it's interesting because actually if you look at the sort of the Labour leaders over the last however many generations, there is definitely a far, uh, a usually a, a quite a left-leaning uh, side of it, and yet uh, probably the most successful Labour leader, um, like him, loathe him, uh, was probably Tony Blair. In fact, he's the only Labour leader that's won three consecutive general elections. Um, why? Because he's down the more central uh, side of um, uh, of policy, uh, and yet, funnily enough, if you think about the way in which uh, Labour leaderships are uh, nominated, um, what's it, I can't remember, the, was it the National something committee, National Elective Committee, I can't remember what it's called now, there's a heavy trade union vote, isn't there, so votes are normally dominated by trade unions, uh, so it tends to be whoever the trade unions want to be the leader, that tends to be uh, the leader uh, of the Labour Party, and uh, because of that, they tend to be more leftward-leaning, Ed Miliband, Kinnock, Corbyn, etc. In fact, funnily enough, when Corbyn was originally put uh, together as a nominee, he was only really nominated as a potential leader, uh, just for a bit of balance over the choice of Labour uh, candidates. And it was, and then of course uh, the trade unions very much got behind him, just like they did with Ed Miliband, uh, much more left uh, of uh, leftward uh, than perhaps some of the other potential leaders. It does make one wonder what type of candidate uh, Labour might choose uh, to be the leader of their uh, party going forward. Uh, maybe it's going to be someone a little bit more central, Akir Starmer perhaps, who knows. Uh, but certainly uh, it's going to be, well, who knows, but potentially another five years before we do find out. But I think, you know, talking about the big sort of impact um, you know, it, it could be an interesting thing with the U.S. presidential election. I'm going to move on from politics now, Michael. It's it's just it was an interesting article. I wanted to bring this to attention because actually I think this has got a big impact on the markets for this coming next year because the U.S. presidential election is going to be something that's going to dominate uh, the movement on the markets uh, for next year. That's why I'm bringing it up and going into a little bit of detail uh, there. You know, is it going to be Trump? Is it going to be somebody else? The argument from this article could well be that if it's someone on the far left, then Trump will rump it. 
you know, if it's not someone more central, then maybe it's going to be a bit of a closer uh, fight, and that could be a bit more interesting, perhaps, uh, for the markets. Uh, we shall see. Um, so look, as for the markets, uh, well, you know, we talked about the movement or the likely movement, sort of pound dollar. Big rally, of course, at the end of last week. Uh, Goldman Sachs had put out an original uh, target at 132. That was achieved on, what was it, Tuesday? Uh, we hit the 132 target uh, there. Um, and so it's kind of hit that level, held that level then for the next few days until a big rally there uh, on Friday, on the pound, or really Friday, sort of Thursday, sort of uh, just as soon as the exit poll came out, really, wasn't it? Uh, why was that? Why did the pound have such a big rally? Well. It's to do really with, you know, why is the market going to rise? It's going to rise because of buying. So effectively, buyers prepared to pay higher prices. And that's going to be down to two things. Number one, it's going to down to down to buying or it's going to be down to closing out of selling trades. So new buying or closing out of sell trades, short trades this is what we call short covering. We're going to talk about short covering uh, a little bit uh, later on uh, everybody there and what actually short covering is when we talk about the defining trading section. But effectively, if you think about the movement in the pound ever since the Brexit vote came in in 2016, uh, the pound has been moving down quite dramatically, a lot of, sh uh, a lot of shorting hedging, strategic short hedging uh, from institutions. They've lifted those effectively now. They're lifting a lot of those hedges. They're covering a lot of those short hedges, which means they're buying the market back up again to close those trades. It may not necessarily be fresh buying. It's potentially more about closing short hedges. Do you see? Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, certainly a big move up. What does that mean going forward? Well, we can talk about that a little bit later on, maybe, but certainly in terms of the whole getting Brexit done, what does that mean? I think that means that actually we'll see the shackles come off foreign exchange. Foreign exchange has been on relatively low volatility for a while and not really much interest in carry trading because certainly, if anything, interest rates have become lower over the last uh, 12 months there with three rate cuts in the US, which has made uh, foreign exchange volatility contracting. Uh, really, actually, I think one thing that we're going to find with this, uh, with the conservative majority with um, the more uh, likely to move on beyond uh, uh, Brexit and beyond that stalemate. So I think we're going to get a lot more capital inflows and capital outflows of the pound. What that's likely to mean is more movement, bigger trends, uh, and bigger potential opportunities for traders. Now, if you look down on the bottom right-hand side, I'm sort of jumping the gun from what we should be trading uh, section, uh, really. But you know, the monthly trend turned up. You see, bottom right-hand side of my chart, we turned up. We had a buying opportunity uh, at the end of November uh, for the pound dollar monthly. That's carried on. Um, all other things being equal, we would expect that trend to carry on there, you know, potentially uh, target around about that sort of 140 level, uh, looking back to that pivot point uh, back from uh, the sort of early part of 2018. So uh, sucking up towards that potential level. And similarly, someone asked about euro sterling uh, or pound uh, euro, uh, similar sort of thing. We had the uh, euro pound uh, trend turned down. So effectively, we, we can expect, um, or at least it seems like 
uptrends now that this is done now this is out the way everyone can start to move on with their lives uh, you should start to see uh, perhaps a bit more of a rally in the pound there maybe even some potential takeovers that people are talking about as potential sort of uh, sort of aggressive hostile uh, takeovers in the stock markets of UK companies but we'll see uh, with that because actually UK stocks are relatively undervalued uh, compared to uh, overseas peers uh, there so be interesting to uh, fascinating to see with the pound it certainly seems strong at the moment and really with the uptrend there I think we can really look to see that 140 as I said 140 price target about 14030 uh, there on pound dollar in terms of uh, the stock market well let's have a quick look at the stock market we saw uh, just coming into it on Wednesday sorry Thursday night there we had a buying opportunity there for the uh, UK 100 uh, the buy their lovely buy trade from Thursday night bit aggressive maybe taking it on the vote there but I think really the the more potential risk the more potential dangerous movement uh, was uh, really to do with uh, the pound really more potential flux on the pound uh, depending on the result much less so uh, on the UK 100 about by there on Thursday night uh, market rallying uh, quite nicely there it's quite an interesting though uh, one because actually ordinarily when you see the pound uh, the pound rise you would typically see uh, the UK stock market fall or the FTSE 100 uh, fall anyone know why that is why would we normally see uh, the UK FTSE 100 fall when the pound rises anyone know it's basically down to the fact that actually the FTSE 100 is not a, a barometer of the UK that's more the FTSE 250 the FTSE 100 is predominantly global companies and they're global companies with uh, a lot of uh, overseas uh, revenue, so uh, exports and so on. Uh, so a higher pound makes their exports less competitive and it affects their profits basically. Either way, uh, a higher pound is generally not good uh, for the global companies that tend to be in the FTSE 100. And in fact, we actually saw that uh, over the um, in terms of the, uh, the individual stocks. We saw the FTSE 100 on Friday rally about 120 points and it's carried on. On, uh, to a similar tune today uh, hasn't it we've seen that uh, but actually um, the movers if you look at what the real movers were on Friday they weren't your BPs they weren't your shells the big global companies there those are the ones that actually fell on Friday even though the UK stock market was up over a hundred points the reason why the reason that for the driving force was you know, companies like your house builders, your UK companies that could actually, again, maybe arguably shackles are off and actually we can start to get things done. It was more of a certainty play, I think, uh, probably there. Okay, so house builders, very, very strong. UK companies, uh, effectively, uh, very strong global companies, uh, less so. And that, that makes sense when you consider it in terms of their exports and consider that impact on uh, their earnings. Um, so FTSE went up, like I said, about 1.5% overall. Um, and uh, yeah, with, uh, with Shell and BP down, effectively, what, two of the biggest, what, four or five companies in the FTSE 100 actually down. It's quite a remarkable uh, move, actually, if you think about it. Uh, 
what else last week? U.S. stocks. I mean, U.S. stocks carrying on to a new uh, all-time high there. You can see the S&P is unfortunately very annoying not to get on this uh, buy uh, back from the or movement up from the 10th of October, not quite meeting the rules of a continuation trade, which is frustrating. However, of course, we were still in buy trades on the DAX and the FTSE, so we made, made a bit of money on that rally there. So why was the U.S. stock market going up? Uh, it's all down to the trade deal. Uh, really um, down to the, uh, China uh, has been uh, postponing U extra tariffs on the US cars and other goods after it completed phase one uh, of its trade deal last week. So that was quite positive. Um, so the US markets, S&P rallied to new highs uh, there. So big week actually last week as it turned out. Um, like I said, I personally believe that what we're going to see here is with um, uh, us being able to move on instead of kicking the can down the road, which we've been doing for the last sort of year or so. Now we can hopefully move on, get it all done, whether you believe in Brexit, whether you don't believe in Brexit. This is apolitical, really. Um, what this is about in terms of the markets, we should start to see more movement, more confidence, more certainty, uh, and therefore uh, more speculation uh, and a more opportunity uh, in the markets, which I'm very much looking forward to, I must say, and what has been uh, quite a low volatility uh, 2019. Uh, okay, uh, so what don't uh, we know yet? Well, here we're going to have a quick look at the economic calendar uh, for the week ahead. Um, actually, relatively quiet um, as we sort of start to wind down a little bit to uh, the Christmas period. Uh, you can see the economic calendar on screen. You can go to Forex Factory, uh, plenty of other uh, ones around, the high-impact red items there. We've already had a little bit out for today. Um, Flash manufacturing, flash services in Germany and the UK, both of which lower than expect, uh, expectations there. So effectively, when you look at the uh, PMI data, uh, Purchasing Managers Index, this is basically down to a number of 50. When the number's at 50, that means that it's gone nowhere. But effectively, if the number's higher than 50, it means that it's expanding. You know, there's uh, increase in spending and so on. And when it's below 50, it means it's contracting. Okay. Uh, so what you're basically looking at there here, we're expecting in Germany flash manufacturing PMI at 44.6. It came in worse than that at 43.4. So it's contracting more than expected, the manufacturing uh, sector uh, in Germany and in the UK as well. We're expecting a small minor contraction of 49.1 for manufacturing, 49.6 uh, for services. Uh, again, both coming in um, contracting higher than expected, uh, perhaps uh, down to uncertainty over the UK election. People just sitting on their hands a little bit, waiting for the vote. I think actually uh, next month uh, will be perhaps a little bit more interesting. Uh, we'll see. But certainly, you know, when you look at the graph of German manufacturing uh, PMI, yeah, perhaps it's holding steady, uh, its contraction at the moment, uh, but we'll see. It just goes to show uh, just how much it's been struggling. Look at the growth that we're having in the beginning part of 2018 over in Germany and really has uh, come back uh, some way. Um, so a little bit of movement there. Eyes will very much be on this 245 data um, from uh, flash manufacturing in the US, 52.6. And I think this actually really demonstrates a little bit about the difference there. They're expecting that expansion there whereas over in the eurozone it's very much been about contraction 
uh, instead. So uh, sort of polar opposites uh, in many ways. Uh, what don't uh, we also know yet? Like I said, it is relatively quiet if I think now through to uh, Thursday. Oh, by the way, before I get into it, interestingly enough, um, one of the things we see when you see that number there, like 47.4 for flash manufacturing PMI in the UK at 930, really what that should effectively say is, is the UK economy, economy is struggling. If the UK economy is struggling, the next interest rate move is more likely to be down than it was before. What should that mean for the pound? It should mean that the pound would fall, okay? But however, uh, we've actually seen the pound rise, probably more based on the fact of the post-election move that we're up sort of, what, 30 pips or so, at least we were about half an hour ago, uh, rather than anything to do with this data. So maybe discounting this data a little bit on the basis there is in context, yes, it's fallen, yes, it's contracted more than expected, however, with the election there, maybe people were not wanting to make decisions over that basis of uncertainty. So maybe there's a little bit of an asterisk or a caveat attached to that, which is why the pound is actually up a bit today. So the pound, yeah, it's up 35 uh, or so uh, today there. Uh, now, in terms of other data uh, for the week ahead, Thursday, uh, we've got a couple of bits there. The most uh, relevant probably being MPC. Uh, in the UK. So that's when we're looking at the votes. That's like the minutes, the summary after the actual uh, vote itself a week or two uh, ago. Uh, you can see that in the last um, uh, MPC meeting, the Monetary Policy Committee, uh, when they set interest rates and monetary policy, uh, there was a zero vote for uh, a rise, two votes for a fall, and seven for uh, no uh, to, to remain unchanged. So it's really going to be about what they say on Thursday. This often has a bit of an impact on the currency markets uh, in particular. Uh, and I believe, maybe we've got one more actually, I think Mark Kahn is uh, as the governor of the Bank of England. I think he's probably got one more. He, he retires the 31st of uh, d uh, January. Be interesting to see who comes in. I don't know if we've already got someone lined up. I'm not too sure, really, but it could mean to a, a slightly different policy in terms of uh, monetary policy there. But really, not a lot this week. We're very much winding down into the Christmas period. In fact, for next week, oh my word, it's going to be dull. Look at that. Look at all those bank holidays for next week. Very, very limited uh, amounts of uh, data uh, coming out there. Okay, uh, so what um, should we be trading uh, for this week? Well, you know, let's talk about volatility for a second. As I said, I personally believe that we're going to get more movement in the year to come uh, than we have done this year. Um, whilst uh, I would certainly prefer a lot more uh, disparity, a lot more difference between interest rates between different um, uh, central banks, um, because of the carry trade, uh, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, however, um, like I said, I think with uh, this happening now, there's more certainty on the global economy, maybe even perhaps more certainty to do with the China-US trade deal. I think we'll start to see a little bit more movement, some bigger trends, some more opportunity on those foreign exchange markets. So whilst I may not be trading the pound in the immediate aftermath of the election from last week, certainly I am looking for buying opportunities. So we're looking at probably smaller dips, looking for bigger opportunities on the buy side for now, at least anyway. Of course, those longer term monthly trends can change. Uh, what we're looking at is these arrows here. When you put my cursor over here, you can see that the weekly trend at the moment is up with the green arrow on the left side. The monthly trend is up as well on the pound dollar right now. Would that carry on? Look, the point really being is that we shall look for shallow 
pullbacks followed by hopefully bigger moves to the upside. What that means economically, I'm not too bothered about really. I'm just interested from a trading perspective. The trends would suggest that the path of least resistance now is to the upside. And so potentially looking for bigger um, moves. And, you know, already in the last couple of months, we're seeing bigger moves than we saw really for the whole of 2018, uh, 2019, where we were very much stuck. And hopefully we can see it, like I said, pushing toward, towards that 140 level uh, over the next couple of months there. As for U.S. stocks, well, like I said earlier, you know, we're still looking for U.S. stocks in terms of opportunities to sell. We have that selling opportunity there, relatively short-lived, certainly quite big though, notwithstanding about 400 points is a fall, big crash there. But of course, it's firmed up a little bit as those U.S. trade, um, China trade talks have come through uh, there. Um, you know, you're looking at this returning to those highs, the Dow not quite as strong as the S&Ps. The Dow is only 30 stocks, remember, and the 30 stocks selected by a particular panel. So it's not even the biggest 30 stocks in the U.S., um, but certainly it has made a new all-time high on Friday. S&Ps uh, much more prominent to the upside, uh, taking continuing to move uh, to all-time highs. What does this mean? It's always interesting when you see a market that's going for new all-time highs. It's going to new all-time highs for a reason. People are buying it. They're not selling it at the moment. So what does it mean for us in terms of opportunities? It means buy the dips. Sure, it means that. But it's always that temptation, everybody, to look for uh, just to sell it, just to short it just because it's expensive. You know, you look at cons uh, client sentiment out there, people who are trading the S&Ps, trading the uh, equity markets, people will be overwhelmingly short right now. Probably 80% of traders are probably short the US indices right now. Uh, why? Because it's expensive and people think something called gravity exists uh, in the markets. It doesn't really. This market could overshoot. What could drive it down? What could be the shock thing that drives the US stock market down? Well, we don't know because it's likely to be a shock. But there's one thing that I think is worth bringing up there is that now that phase one is arguably complete, okay, he's going to move on to phase two. I don't know how long that's likely to take. But is that a reason to take profits now? If you think about the big rise in the stock market, generally what I find is that markets top out based on good news because once you've got that good news confirmed often it's the case that there's well that's it now what other good news could there be what you're left with then it's done okay that's why i was in it it's hit that news i'll take my profits thanks because next i've got potential uncertainty who knows what might can happen uh, after that so often it is good news that tips out a market am i saying that's going to happen right now I don't know, really. But what I am going to do is look for those turning points in the markets there, like the sniper disc here, looking for the lines changing color and so on. My eyes will be very sharply focused on those U.S. stock indices over the next couple of weeks. Statistically, Christmas period is a tough time to short sell stocks. So it may well be that we don't have shorting opportunities over the next uh, week to 10 days. But I will very certainly uh, be looking at the stock market, the U.S. stock market in particular, to look for opportunities of turning points and opportunities of short selling uh, on those markets and profit taking uh, on the U.S. stock market there. So keep an eye on that. One thing I do want to say, guys, is don't just sell it because it's expensive. That's a pretty dangerous thing to do. Look for your selling opportunities. Look for your turning points. Look for your criteria that makes it a good trading decision. 
don't just sell it just because the market's gone up a lot okay that would be a pretty dangerous thing to do okay so um, we're kind of jumping around a little bit uh, really today uh, I would say um, so what I'm going to do is have a quick look now at defining trading uh, the thing I wanted to talk about was short covering do we all know what short covering means uh, everybody maybe you can pop me uh, a message into the questions box ultimately uh, short covering is effectively the closing of short trades do we know what short selling is uh, short selling is speculating on prices falling so effectively you probably heard of the concepts of going long and going short going long is when you own something so you're long of it and you're expecting that price to then rise. Uh, when you're shorting it means effectively you're selling something that you don't even own. In fact, you're short it, you don't have it. I say you're short of it, basically. Um, so basically, when you expect prices to go up, you will go long, you will buy that market and go long. Uh, when you think prices are gonna go down, you will short sell, okay? Um, so you're gonna sell it with a view to then buying it back later on. I won't get into the uh, the details, what it all means in the background of that, uh, but basically what's going to drive a market is effectively, of course, buying or selling, or people prepared to buy at higher prices or people prepared to sell at lower prices. And you're going to get two types of buying or two types of selling. Of course, you've got speculation and hedging, but what I mean by that is um, you've got um, new trades or buying of new positions or you've got closing out of short positions. So they're both buy orders, you understand. Um, but when we talk about the pound rising last week uh, and a heavy rise into the last couple of weeks, in fact, why don't we quickly look uh, at the chart? You can bring up your own pound dollar charts just to see that really uh, we had uh, a big rise uh, really in the few weeks into uh, the vote, and really for the last two or three months, big rises in the pound. Arguably, and a lot of comments have been, a lot of that's down to short covering. So who was short? Big institutions were short as a strategic short hedge against Brexit. So we're shorting, speculating on the pound falling to protect, not really, it's a hedge, it's not speculation, to protect their positions. So what basically that means is, as that moves into a period where um, there's uncertainty again, they're going to start to maybe, or, 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 or risk of it carrying on, a risk of Brexit being finished off, effectively, a lot of those short positions were arguably being closed out. That's buying. That's not necessarily new buying. I'm sure there was an element of new buying of the pound, but there was also a lot of closing of central, uh, of big banks, uh, of pension funds, hedge funds, closing out their strategic short positions to buying those positions to close, okay? So that's what we call short covering, closing your short trades. Does that make better sense? Okay, so how can you spot that it's short covering? Well, one thing that I always think about, I'm not sure there's any really definition for this uh, but sometimes you can see this with um, a lot of big moves during the day uh, so very often what you'll find is you have a big move on the day if covering it usually means that it's carries on into the close and let's think about this for a second if you get a big move up on the day okay and you are long and the market rallies 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 what are you most likely to do before that market closes out for the day you're probably going to close that trade and take your profit aren't you so what you can often see if it's new buying is that you're going to often see the price rally. I'm not looking at a chart adder. You're obviously going to see the price rally. You're then going to close it out. And then the price, and, and if everyone's doing that, you're going to see the price then ease back. So you can see a little bit of a spike on that daily bar. Often if it's short covering, you can often see a good big move into the close. 
because there's no profit taking to be had because people are already closing the trades in the first place. So what you'll often find is when it's short covering or in fact actually stop loss is triggering, i.e. closing out of trades, you'll often see the market close at its highs or close at its lows uh, rather than if it's new speculation coming through on that day, you'll often see those spikes uh, coming through with the, the market effectively closing those trades out. Hopefully that makes a little bit of sense there. Um, just think about it in terms of profit taking. If you're closing your trades and you already closed it, so there's nothing to take profit by into the close of the session, to the end of the session. Um, so a little bit about um, short uh, covering there. Um, the next thing I want to talk about, and the final bit for today's session is in the what's the problem section, we take a look at a particular problem uh, that traders face, and we're going to have a look at it. Now, last week, we had a look at trading over announcements. Uh, hopefully, that was helpful. Uh, today, I'm going to look at boredom trades, um, and this can be especially relevant to intraday traders, so people are trading uh, within the same day, so buying it and then closing it on the same day. Um, Boredom trading. This is effectively placing trades just because you need something to do. You're bored. You'd rather be in the market than not be in the market. And effectively, it's about, well, look, if you have a trading plan or if you don't have a trading plan, it's about the ability to stick to your plan. If you don't have a trading plan or if you break it, then it can lead to all sorts of problems. Boredom trades is a potential issue. And it's something that a lot of people don't really think about, probably. Putting on a trade just for the sake of it, just because you need something to do. You're sitting there. You've got a couple of hours to trade. Nothing's really setting up. So you might as well just shove a trade on just because, well, you know, why not? Rather be in the market. This is actually a really bad thing. You know, what traders need to do is focus on their risk management. They need to focus on their trading plan and being disciplined to that trading plan. Uh, and the reason that's important, because if you've got a plan, there's no doubt been a certain amount of reason behind the construction of that plan, right? So you've done it based on fact, based on logic, based on statistics. Placing trades just because you're bored is probably going to break every single rule that you already have. You'll be going against your trading plan. And that indiscipline can be extremely costly. So the problem with boredom trades is shoving trades on that don't meet your rules just because you feel like you need to be in something. And in fact, it's actually a totally irrational thing to do. It's almost like expecting the markets to dance just because you've got to spare half an hour. I would say to you, actually, not being in a trade, not being in a position is a position in itself. You choose to go long, you choose to go short, or you choose to do nothing. There is nothing wrong with doing nothing. That is the position. Because if you're not in anything, you're making a decision to say the pro probabilities are not right at this point. There is nothing leaping out at you to make you to want to make that trade at this point. Successful traders all have a plan. Successful traders all then stick to that plan. What they're not doing is making rash decisions based on emotions or based on being bored. Okay. So when you're thinking about trading, it's about finding your, the best trades according to your plan. It's about having an edge that allows you to make the right decisions. And it isn't actually that hard to do. And in fact, for a lot of traders, what you have to have is that plan in the first place, okay? So you, you have a look at a trade, you make sure it meets your objectives and your criteria before you place them. If you don't make, meet those criteria, you just simply don't place that trade. Yes, it can be frustrating, but I want to take a second to think about something called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Do we know what confirmation bias is? It's effectively, once you've already decided to do something, 
all you see is that uh, basically and when I think about bias it's a it's a big thing with trading what I mean by that is that people think about things in different ways and people rationalize things in different ways if you fancy a trade but it doesn't quite meet your plan and you decide to dodge that trade because it doesn't meet your plan that is generally a good thing right because you're sticking to your trading plan and you are remaining disciplined here's the problem however in avoiding that trade what you're likely to do is have a look at it and see what would have happened had you have done that trade right you know you shouldn't have done it but you're going to have a look at what you should have done what would have happened had you have done that let's say the trade you miss because it wasn't a trade in the first place goes on and would have been a winner it's horribly frustrating isn't it horribly frustrating what's likely to happen is you're going to put more emotional store in that missed trade being a winner than you would being a loser what I mean that by that is you're more likely to remember a missed winning trade than a missed losing trade that then increases its level importance in your mind so effectively your mind will be skewed to all those moves that you didn't take they're going to be winners will far outweigh any losing trade that you missed okay what I'm <laughs> it's quite hard to explain this but effectively let's say you dodged a trade you're much more likely to be, get frustrated and annoyed by it if it went on to be a winner but you missed it than missing a trade that went the wrong way because you weren't in it there's no emotional story that's like yes I knew I shouldn't have been in that trade that's great what you're likely to be is horribly frustrated by that trade that you didn't take in the first place what that means is that sort of bias there is that if you have a much bigger memory of the pain of that trade that you missed what you're more likely to do is break the rules the next time okay and you're more likely to do it because you put more store in that missed annoying miss of profit absolutely it's human psychology it's very frustrating and this is why having a plan is so important because the next time you're then looking at the markets and you'll see a particular pattern that's coming up you'll actually be more inclined to take it even though it misses the rules because you'll remember that trade that you missed that went on and hit target the problem is you're making that decision based on imperfect information it could well be that trades that meet that pattern only have I don't know a 10% success rate but you're only remembering it based on that winning trade that you missed and it's very very frustrating what you'll then think you'll have a bias towards those trades being great even though it's not true what you need to do is make sure you look at those trades why did I miss that trade again do I need to reevaluate my plan should I have taken that trade is that actually a profitable pattern that I should now be taking the problem for a lot of traders is they won't do that research they'll say oh I knew I should have taken that ah stupid okay I'll remember it and I'm always going to do those trades actually that trade probably was a really bad trade to take it just so happened by luck that actually went on to be a profitable one the fact of the matter is unless you actually know do the analysis and do the homework you won't know whether that's a particular good strategy or whether the only reason you want to take it is because of a bias in your view confirmation bias in what you want to do does this all make sense hope it's actually quite a difficult thing I'm not a psychologist so it's quite a difficult thing really to explain I think the point really being is this 
unless you're able to analyze these things properly, unless you're able to look at the statistics, go back through the charts and look to see if that particular pattern is a good pattern, then you shouldn't make your decisions based on one particular move or one particular trade that you've missed. You need to confirm to yourself that it is a profitable pattern, that it is a profitable setup. The statistics don't lie. Check the statistics. Don't just do it based on one particular trade or just because some guy tells you something down the pub that that's a cool thing to do. Go back through the chart. Check that it meets your rules. And if it doesn't meet your rules, don't, tra don't trade it. Evaluate it afterwards and then see if you need to tweak your rules. But in tweaking your rules, in tweaking your trading plan, make sure you go through the charts, put the work into it to make sure that it is the right thing to do. Otherwise, like I said, you're much more likely to make emotional-based decisions. And if you think about that, getting angry about a trade that you avoided, missed, and so on, that goes on to be a winner, that's an emotional play. That's psychology, that's emotions, rather than trading something based on probabilities and logic. Okay, Trading should be based on probability and logic. It should not be based on emotions. The more emotional you are with your trading, frankly, the more likely it is that you're going to mess it up, okay? And that's generally uh, the biggest problem uh, that a lot of people have, trading on emotions rather than logic, statistics, facts, and so on, okay? Hopefully that's useful, uh, guys. Now, look, if you are interested in a plan, uh, then what I can do is just simply direct you to uh, a, potent, uh, a, li a live event that we'll be running this uh, week where we'll be teaching you our sniper trading strategy. If you'd like to come along, you can go to uh, the webpage you can see online, but I'll read it out now anyway if you're listening to us on SoundCloud or if you're listening to us on uh, anything else, uh, um, audio podcast, bit.ly bit slash learn ts you can go there and you can register a place on one of our live events where we'll go through effectively step one uh, for building a trading plan and learning three simple rules uh, to help identify some turning points in the market um, now uh, ian's asking me a quick question uh, before i do move on uh, to do with pound aussie to be honest with you i'm not actually trading okay i'm not actually trading the pound right now so i'm holding off on sterling trades Okay, so we can have a look at pound Aussie, but I haven't traded sterling trade, certainly on daily charts for a few days now. Um, and uh, there's no, just so you know, Ian, there'll not be a buy continuation uh, on pound Aussie because the way in which the vector average trades there. So you can see the erratic nature. What I'm hoping is more decision, more stronger trends that we'll find. It's effectively an uptrend right now on pound Aussie, and we are favoring the buy side. Hence, the continued move uh, to higher highs and higher lows. It seems like with the trend as it is, that will uh, look to continue. But I'm holding off on sterling trades. I'll let this market settle down for a few more days and probably start trading them in the new year, guys. Okay, I'm not interested in gambling. I'm interested in trading probability and logic, guys, like I said. And then finally, uh, one more thing, everybody, in terms of tuning in to the podcast, if you want to tune in after the live events, uh, we may not be continuing with the live ones in the new year. Um, you can find them in a number of ways. Number one, you can go to trend-signal.com slash trendsignal dash blog, um, which is a bit of a mouthful. So trend-signal.com slash trendsignal hyphen blog uh, or you can watch them search for the trend signal podcast and you can search for it on apple itunes soundcloud spotify 
and also on YouTube as well, guys. So um, you can listen to it, you can watch it, you can watch it live, or you can watch it on a recording, whatever works for you. So guys, I'm going to call it an end to my bit. Hopefully I wasn't too stale for you today, uh, and you've kept awake uh, during this podcast. Um, we'll be back. We will be doing a, a session next Monday. I don't know if it's going to be live or recorded, uh, but we'll let you guys know, certainly. Um, but uh, guys, have a great week's trading, and all the best, and bye-bye for now.